Wow, it's a full house. <laughs> this is exciting. You know, it's, it's so edifying for me as a, to be a part of that worship experience, just seeing all of you so engaged and connected. And if you're new, you're kind of exploring faith and you're wondering what's going on. We're just loving Jesus. <laughs> we just love our Savior so much and we're so thankful for what he's done for us. And you see, you see some people with their eyes closed, some people with their hands up, some people singing. All of us are just expressing our love for our Savior in our own unique way. And it's, it's, it's edifying, isn't it? It's edifying to be a part of the church and to, to sing together and lift up our Savior. It's just, I love being a part of West Park and what God's doing. Um, my name's Kevin Norcross. I'm the pastor of Next Generation and Outreach, and we're continuing in our series in the book of Mark. Um, for those of you here in the room, those of you watching on at, from home, um, you can turn to Mark chapter 10. Uh, we're studying verse 32 to 45. Um, if you look in your notes on your way in, you'll see that it's blank. That's because I don't have like four or five main points for you to fill in this morning. I just want to present a concept, an idea, a, a, a teaching around the topic of servanthood and how Jesus came to serve and we uh, are to do the same. So your notes are blank and you can fill them in as, as points stick out to you. Um, but the, the main theme we're learning today is just about how Jesus came to serve. So Mark chapter 10, verse 32 to 45, let's stand together and we're going to read this scripture. They're continuing on their journey to Jerusalem. Uh, the disciples are with Jesus and Jesus is leading the way. And uh, what's important about this part in the, the scripture is that they're about to enter Jerusalem where Jesus is going to face the cross. So it's a very critical point. So Mark chapter 10, verse 32. And they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at the right hand or the left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Verse 41, then the 10 heard about this. They became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those of you are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. All right, you can sit down. So the big idea for today is quite simple. 
Christ came to serve and we should too, right? Pretty easy to remember. Christ came to serve and we should too. So let's go through this verse by verse. Number 32, they were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished while those followed behind were afraid. Again, he took the 12 and told them what was going to happen. So this journey continues. Jesus is leading the way. Again, they're on their way to Jerusalem and Jesus knows what is about to happen and what they're going to face. He was going to the cross and he was going to suffer greatly. The disciples were still confused at what was going on, but they followed Jesus and they trusted him. This is a reminder for us as followers of Christ that we follow Jesus even through tough, difficult seasons and tough, difficult times. There is a cost to discipleship. And, and sometimes it leads to suffering. We need to count that cost. The cost is high, but the journey on this life is life to the fullest, as John 10, 10 says. The life of being a disciple is difficult, challenging, full, amazing, and fun altogether. This journey to Jerusalem was actually an upward journey. They were walking uphill towards Jerusalem. And it's important that Jesus was leading the way. Because remember, Jesus knew what he was about to go and face and experience. In some ways, he was like a prisoner on his way to receiving his sentence. But he wasn't at the back of the crowd. He didn't have his head hung down low. He wasn't dragging his feet. He was leading the charge. He knew what he had to do. And he was focused on what he had to do. And he was out in front leading the way. And it was a great example to us of how Jesus humbly as a servant went to the cross for our sake. What is amazing reminder to us as Christ followers when we are going through difficulty, when we are going through strife, that we need to keep serving, keep loving, keep leading with God's strength within us. And it's interesting here, it says they were astonished and afraid. Why would they be astonished and afraid? Well, first of all, this is a normal reaction from these men. Perhaps they saw this determination, this sharp focus that Jesus had to get to Jerusalem. They sensed that something important was about to happen. They knew something was up. And Jesus was so adamant on, and focused about getting to Jerusalem and this task at hand. Again, Jesus separates the 12 from the crowd and he sits down and has a little teaching moment. And here's what he says. He says, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So now this is the third time in Mark that Jesus explains to the disciples what, what is about to happen. Mark 8.31 is the other one, and Mark 9.31 is the other one. And then this is the third. And this prediction is more detailed and precise than the other ones. It covers six details. He will be betrayed. Jesus will be betrayed, sentenced to death, handed over to the Gentiles, mocked on, spit on, and flogged, executed, and then resurrected. Now, although Mark doesn't record the disciples' um, response to it, we see in Luke 18, 34, it says the disciples did not understand any of this. They were confused. So then Jesus responded, so then they respond to Jesus. He just explains what is going to happen, and they respond with this. Then James and John, sons of Debedee, Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. 
What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. So here's Jesus explaining what's going to happen on the cross and what he's going to go through. And what are the disciples doing? They're jockeying for position. They want to be the greatest. They want to be recognized. This re request from uh, James and John is, is a blatant example of human self-centeredness in contrast to Jesus' example of humility. These next verses uh, parallel Luke 9, 30 to 37. It was in this where they say, whoever wants to be the first must be the last and the servant of all. Both include them talking about true greatness. And again, we see that the, the disciples just don't get it. They still think that Jesus is going to go into Jerusalem and he's going to sit on the throne and they're going to reign and rule and they want to be right there beside him. And it's crazy that they ask Jesus to do for him whatever they want. They basically ask Jesus, sign a blank check. Do, do for me whatever you want. It is so elitist and arrogant and disrespectful. Listen, I, I love doing nice things for my kids. I love being kind to them. I like helping them out. I even enjoy driving them places. Just don't tell them that. I like making big, uh, juicy chunks of meat on my smoker and, and serving it to my family. I always taste it a little bit just to make sure it's, it's okay. I like taking the little girls out for ice cream and, and of course you've got to do the dad lick and make sure there's no drips and making sure it's presentable to the kids. I like taking them to do stuff. I try, I find fulfillment as a dad providing for my family financially that they'll be able to do the things that they need to do. I enjoy being kind and considerate and, and making them a huge priority in my life. When my kids come to me and ask me for something and I think it's in their best interest, if I have the means to do it, I will do it. I will give those things to them. But if my kids ever came to me and demanded something from me, and told me to give them something, with arrogance said, give me that thing. That'd be a different feel, be a different vibe in the room. Don't worry, that's never happened before in my home. <laughs> but there's a difference between asking something in humility and demanding something. There's a difference between uh, these disciples, if they, uh, they come to Jesus demanding things, we need to be careful when we approach Jesus in prayer. We need to be cautious that we don't come to him demanding something. You see, this gift of salvation, this gift of eternal life, this gift of relationship with Jesus is something that he gave to us and we don't deserve it. We can't afford it, we can't earn it, but he's given it to us. And we need to respond to Jesus with thankfulness. And our, we should never approach him with arrogance and demands, but with humility and with reverence and with thankfulness. And that is what these disciples did. They demanded something from Jesus. So then, of course, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, with extreme patience, he says, okay, guys, what do you want? And they ask for the highest honor in the kingdom. They asked to sit at the right and at the left, places of honor, places of authority. They want to be the top dogs. They want to run the show. They want to be the poster boys. They want to be the Michael Jordan of basketball, the greatest basketball player of all time. Notice how I didn't say LeBron James. <laughs> they wanted to be the funniest of comedians like our, uh, like our own Bill Dakin. 
They wanted the best seats in the house with the best view. They didn't want to get sucked down in the front row of the theater where your neck hurts when you're trying to watch the movie. They wanted to be held in high regard. They wanted to be the top people. They wanted influence. They wanted to be doted on. They wanted to be respected. They wanted to be popular. And they wanted the prestige. And again, they just don't get it. They were thinking that this new kingdom that Jesus was going to set up was, uh, had the same rules as society that they lived in. But we're, we've learned through this study of Mark that this is an upside down kingdom. The rules were different. They thought that Jesus was going to go into Jerusalem and take over and be king. But they didn't understand what was going on. James and John wanted to be sure that they were the most prominent in this new kingdom. But this kingdom is upside down. So then Jesus responds, verse 38. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And of course, Jesus' response cuts through the facade of human sinful nature. He cuts right through it. And the disciples, because they don't realize what they're asking, they didn't grasp the magnitude of what they were asking. Jesus responds in grace and humility to their request because it was obviously not in their best interest. Aren't we thankful that we know God can provide for us? God can answer our prayers, but sometimes he doesn't because the things that we ask for can be self-centered and, and not right. And God is gracious to us in that. In this new kingdom, the way to such a privileged position is not by grabbing for power, but by giving power up. But they respond back to Jesus. Yes, we can. <laughs> we can handle it. Just after he said, no, you can't. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink. Be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for which they have been prepared. So with confidence, they just answer Jesus. Yes, we can. Off the top of their head, they say, we can go through the suffering that you're about to go through. This is very naive. James and John failed to understand the complexity of what Jesus what was about to go through on the cross. You see, the cup represents this sense of God's wrath being poured out on humanity, that only Jesus can drink that cup. The baptism represents Jesus standing with sinners and his willingness to bear the judgment before God. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. Jesus said, you will drink a cup and you will undergo a baptism, but I must experience it first because he is the sacrifice. Again, this cup in this baptism is what Jesus will experience on his way to become the ransom for many, as we see in verse 45. Essentially for these disciples and for us, this is a renewed call to discipleship. Because we know that a part of being a disciple of Christ involves sacrifice and suffering. But it's nothing compared to what our Savior went through on the, on the cross. In response to their request for authority in this, this new kingdom, Jesus said, that is not for me to give. He looks to the Father and says, it is only God the Father who will decide who sits at my right and at my left. And then the other disciples chime in, verse 41. Then the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. They called, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. 
Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. So this spirit of ambition and jealousy is very much alive in the disciples. They still didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. They want the authority. They want the power. They want to lord it over people. So Jesus had to give them this lesson in what true greatness is. The kingdom, this upside down kingdom and greatness is not achieved by grabbing for power, but by humble service. James Edwards' commentary says this quote, At no other place do the ethics of the kingdom of God clash more vigorously with the ethics of the world than in the matters of power and service. This is so true. The kingdom of God is absolutely opposite to this world that we live in. We live in this world of clamoring for power, clamoring for making a name for yourself. But Jesus' kingdom is different. It's opposite to this world. As Christ followers, we go against the flow of society. Like a salmon swimming up the stream to reach their destiny. Like back in 9-11 when those firefighters went up the stairs as people were flooding down the stairs. Like Moses leading the people out of Israel. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not bowing down when the others were. Like David standing up against Goliath when everyone else was afraid. Like Noah who built the ark even though people made fun of him day in and day out. We, West Park Church, we need to go against the flow of society and follow Christ no matter what. I'm going to show you this picture. It's a picture of salmon eggs. All that a salmon goes through to reach the top of that river is for a purpose. It fights and it swims and it jumps. It avoids predators so that it can reach the top and lay its eggs. They make the sacrifice in order to produce more fish. When we go against the flow, when we fight through uh, difficulties in our life, when we stand up for God's truth and God's, God's word, it's for a purpose. It's for the sake of someone else. It's for the sake of someone else coming to faith and uh, seeing new life. When you fight and when you go against the flow and you live your life according to this set of rules, not the set of rules of our world, you impact people through your life, right? You impact people through your life. Here's a picture of the firefighters from uh, one from 9-11 uh, when those buildings collapsed. People were flooding those stairs trying to escape. These firefighters were going against the flow trying to save lives. They didn't know that the buildings were going to collapse. They didn't know what was going to happen. All they did was do what they were trained to do. In one article I read, it said that it took them 15 minutes to get up one flight of stairs because of the, the, the pressure of the people coming down. It didn't make sense to everyone around them. What are these guys doing? But they knew there were people up there who needed help. They knew that lives could be saved and they didn't let anything stop them. I also read in an article, I didn't know this, but it's actually a yearly tradition now on, on September 11th that firefighters all over uh, do this uh, routine of walking up 110 flights of stairs, remembering the 347 firefighters who died that day trying to save lives. And that is what Jesus was doing at this moment in this story. He was trying to tell the disciples, 
We need to go against the flow, guys. You think power and authority come from uh, the way society does. No, it comes from humble service, serving other people. This was the, Jesus knew that he had to do this. He knew he had to be the ransom for many. And this was the only way that it could happen. In order to be the greatest, you must become the least. You see, in society back then, the slave was the lowest of the low in society. So for Jesus to say, in order to be the greatest, you've got to be a slave, that was crazy to them. That was so profound. That was so new. It was just as mind-blowing as uh, Pastor Neil was talking about last week, the, the camel going through the eye of a needle. It was, it was just crazy. And then he makes this final statement on the issue. The last verse we're studying today, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus sets them up with these words, and then he drives it home. He drives the message of home. The kingdom of God is, the, is for humble service. And even, even, even the Son of Man is not exempt from it. You see, this isn't just a principle of the kingdom, but it is a pattern of Jesus' life. And as we follow Christ and we strive to be like him, we understand that he was a servant. He came not to be served, but to serve. Every part of this verse is significant. Son of man, we see again this messianic title that Jesus uses for himself. The next part, he did not come to be served, but to serve, he was, again, going against society and saying, it says you have value if you have servants. Worldly rulers in that day had something in common. They were elevated above others, and that is how the disciples were thinking also. But Jesus redefines greatness and teaches them about this upside-down kingdom. This quote from Jason Meyer says, True greatness is not about how high you can climb as you step on and over as many people as possible. It is about how you can go, sorry, it is about how low you can go in serving as many people as possible. Isn't that a great nugget of truth? Something to hold on to. This next part, to give his life as a ransom for many. This word ransom is translated litron, which means the price of release. It echoes the experience of the Israelites' um, release from slavery out of Egypt. In Jesus' day, if you owed a debt to someone and you couldn't pay it, that person would take you as, your, as their slave so you could work off your debt and pay off your debt. That's the only way you could get free of it. Or if someone else came and paid that ransom, then you could be free. And this whole phrase is a reminder that Jesus came to pay the price that we, the slave, cannot pay on our own. We, the many, do not have the, the, the capability or the ability to pay for our freedoms and, and set ourselves free. Only Jesus can do that. We are totally at the mercy of Jesus who has the correct currency as the final sacrifice for our sins through the shedding of his blood and his death, burial, and resurrection. And aren't we thankful that he gives us that gift of salvation? What should have happened to us happened to him instead. This was the greatest act of servanthood where Jesus stood in our place he took all the pain upon him that should have been on us. You know, living this way is not natural. Living this way 
uh, serving others and being a humble servant to those around us is not natural. That's why we need God's help. Say, man, I'm not very good at this. It's okay. Just ask God for help. And I really struggle in this area of, of trying to serve others. It's okay. Ask for God's help. God's spirit is in you and he can help you and he can encourage you and he can help you make baby steps in this area. In closing, I just want to go over a few practical ways that we can do this. You see, King Jesus came to give and he gave everything so that we could have the ultimate thing. We should, that should be our approach in our way of living this out. How can I live this way in all areas of my life? My challenge to you this week as you spend your quiet time with God is to look at ways that you can adopt this attitude and uh, mindset of, of servanthood. <clears throat> if you don't have a time in your daily routine where you spend with God, I encourage you to do that. It'll change your life. So first of all, what are ways that this can be lived out? In your relationship with God, this is your number one priority. Matthew 22, 37 to 38 says, love the Lord with all your, God, with all your heart, with all your mind and with all your strength. So your greatest uh, commandment is to love God, spend time with God. The enemy is going to do the greatest attack on that area of your life. So if you're trying to spend time with God every day and you're wondering why it's so hard, it's because the enemy doesn't want you to do it. But strive to do that and serve God by loving God. Next one is in your relationships with your friends, family members, or acquaintances. Serve, love, and give. Don't look at what you can get from others, but look at what you can give to others. If you want friends, show yourself friendly. Be a friend to someone else. Don't keep record of all the nice things that you've done for people and keep track of who owes you what. Just be nice <laughs> and just serve and be humble. Within your marriage, a marriage relationship is not about give and take. It's about loving and serving each other. It's not keeping records and, and lording it over that you're nicer than they are. It's about giving, giving, giving. If both give, 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 then the needs are met. Perhaps this week that might be your challenge to look at ways that you can love your spouse and serve your spouse in a way that you never have before. Check your motives before God. Am I being nice because I want something back? <laughs> am I serving because I want something back? Or am I just serving and loving? Parenting, serve your kids well. Be a blessing to them. Be an example of Christ. Yes, your kids bring you great fulfillment, but don't love them so that you can be fulfilled. Love them because that's what God's called you to do and serve them. Church ministry, take time to serve and give. God, all I have is yours. I want my time to be used to serve the church. I love this church. We have a, a, a serving, um, we're good at that. You guys are good at that. Let's keep it up. I think of that Canada Day event, 250 of us running around like crazy, sweating and, and serving and smiling and loving our community. I had one volunteer, she was a balloon animal lady and she got, uh, she got a blister from tying so many balloons. Just determined to do ministry well and serve. Let's serve our community. Let's serve each other. Continue to foster that environment here because we are on this journey together pursuing Christ. Let's do it with humility. Let's serve like Jesus served. All right? Let me pray for us. God, we thank you today for this message. We thank you for this truth 
We thank you that as you were so patient with the disciples on this topic, would you be so patient with us? God, would you please give us a heart of a servant? Help us to serve those around us. God, would you forgive us when we um, are selfish and we try and elevate ourselves above others? Would you help us to change that area of our lives? God, I thank you that you came to be an example and you paved the way. Help us to follow your leading in that area, God. Help us to model our lives after you. God, we live in this society that is totally backwards to your kingdom and to the word of God. Would you give us the strength to go against the flow and to serve and to humble ourselves? God, I pray for every person in this room as we spend time with you this week in our quiet time. Would you truly stir our hearts through your spirit that we might grow in this area of our life and our relationship with you and with others? Thank you, God, for your word. Help us to go out and live differently because of it. In Jesus' name, amen.